Welcome to the Forbidden Apple Podcast, where we explore the relationship between queer people and religion. They say faith can move mountains, and we want to know what faith means to you. Join our conversation as we discuss overcoming prejudices, find common ground, and celebrate our differences. A former Orthodox Jew and a Spanish-raised Catholic meet weekly and sink our teeth into the Forbidden forbidden Apple Hi, everybody. And welcome to another episode of The, the Forbidden, Forbidden Apple. I am Melissa Weiss. And I am Pelayo Alvarez. And today we're so excited to share this episode with you. We have Senator Loretta Weinberg. Senator Loretta Weinberg is the first of our ally series, LGBTQI allies. And we're really proud to bring her on mm. since uh, she has been in the forefront of fighting for the rights of LGBTQ folks and uh, human rights in general. Yeah. We met Senator Loretta Weinberg in Teaneck Film Festival and uh, we had her on after the screening of Framing Agnes, which is a film that talks about the history of uh, the trans uh, transgender individuals and uh, takes a lot of uh, documents and information from the 50s that was left unseen for a lot of years. So mm-hmm. it's a very interesting film that we'll leave the trailer below if you want to learn more about it. Yeah, and so we got to speak to, with Senator Weinberg about the hurdles she's had to overcome as a woman in politics. Um, and what work she's continuously doing and what's what uh, is the underlying reason and the underlying push she has to fight for LGBTQ rights, to fight for uh, human rights in general. Um, so we're so excited for you to listen to this episode. Yeah, I hope you really like it. As always, please remember to subscribe, share with your friends, review, and all those nice things. Enjoy listening. Bye-bye. Jeremy has been telling us also, um, telling us about the work that you do as an LGBTQ ally and, and, and making sure that people have rights. And, and, and we're focusing specifically on the LGBTQ part, but you do it with um, a lot well, of... Well, human rights human involves <laughs> women's rights yeah. and minority rights yeah. and LGBT rights. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I think back, when I first got involved in the officially in the LGBTQ community in terms of the le- the legislature or my legislative career. Uh, it was probably before it was popular, uh-huh. <laughs> coin a word that maybe it's not appropriate to describe it, but I guess it is. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for me, I, when I think back, I thought, okay, it wasn't, perhaps it wasn't popular, but I didn't consider it courageous. It's just sort of a natural outgrowth and I will share a story yes, with yeah. you that's just sort of crystallized in my brain in very recently recent years I wondered where my passion for the LGBTQ community came from I have relatives you know like everybody else but didn't understand all that till adulthood um, I grew up in Southern California and I went to Beverly Hills High School before zip codes and I had, my parents were divorced, so my father lived back east, and we lived with my mother in California. And I had an English teacher whose name was Fred Spellacy, I'm sure he's 
long gone so I can use his name. And we all knew he was gay, but I don't think we had any vocabulary. You know, if we said anything about it, it would have been kind of in a snickering way. But he, first of all, I loved him as a teacher. He really challenged me in terms of what we were learning in, the, in our English class of that day. But there was a father-daughter dance at the high school, and he called to find out if he could take me to the father-daughter dance, mm. which, which he did. So I thought about that so many years later when somebody kept on saying, well, this must have come from somewhere. And I decided it came from Fred Spellacy. No. I might be right or I might be wrong, but yeah, it probably fits in your brain. You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So. So that's where your passion. Well, he was such a, uh, at first of all, intellectually yeah. challenging person, and then secondly, such a kind and compassionate yeah. person. Everyone yeah. Equal rights. Right. And we're coming yeah. now from the screening of uh, Framing Agnes. What uh, do you, when you, I know you have been a, a very proud supporter of the Teenage Film Festival for a while. Uh, what make you choose this film in particular, which uh, highlights issues of the trans community? Well, well f you know, the, the issues around trans communities are a little bit more contemporary or more things that we're still addressing today. And uh, I had a very good friend who um, also was a very good friend to the trans community, Bab Sipperstein, who passed away a number of months ago. Mm. So she played a, a, a very big role in uh, moving forward understanding and rights for, tra for the trans community. Uh, we have a law named after her which allows issues around uh, declarations of birth of uh, uh, your uh, the your paperwork when you're born. Mm -hmm. So uh, I guess in Bab's honor, oh. I've chose this. And also, was interesting. I didn't realize the years, but I'm a graduate of UCLA. So I graduated two years before this 1958 study of oh. uh, of Agnes and the beginnings of the study of the trans community, so it was kind of interesting too, but I, as I said, that I just learned in seeing the film here. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you hadn't seen the film before? No. Did you enjoy it? No. But I, you know, I knew about it, but I had not seen the film. Did you so. enjoy it? Yes. Um, it, it was interesting. I would have liked to have seen a sequel like, what was Agnes's uh -huh. life like afterwards, but I guess we'll have to wait till next year. Yeah. <laughs> I know that in the world of politics, things are becoming more polarized, but they're also changing and becoming more progressive in certain areas. <laughs> and we have seen certain LGBTQ individuals, they have won elections in their in their particular areas. How do you well, think this is gonna change the horizon in politics? Well, the more people are in public, the more comfortable other people become. So I think that's important because the more, I, you know, I hesitate to use the word normal, but I guess in terms of society, the more normal it mm -hmm. becomes. Mm -hmm. You know, well, here's a boy, here's a girl, here's a trans person, here's a lesbian, here's a bisexual, whatever. I used to call it the LGBT and whatever 
coalition, as a matter <laughs> of fact, because I didn't have words to sum up all the rest of it. But um, so I think when you when you know somebody, when you meet somebody, it might be an initial reaction. But beyond that, you get you know somebody as a person, mm -hmm. and that all becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's relevant to the kind of person they are. So the more normal it becomes to everybody else, to society, the more egalitarian society we'll have. So it is important. It's important for the people we love to be authentic as to who they really are. Um, and it's important to our leaders. I mean, having a gay man running for president Mm -hmm. is a big step forward and it's not a big issue every time he speaks <laughs> you know that somebody is mm -hmm. outraged or tell me what it's like being a gay man or mm -hmm. anything like that what people accept him as a candidate for public office mm -hmm. asking him all the questions they ask every other candidate so these are big steps forward for the kind of society we have and I look at my, my grandchildren are almost 15 and 16 and you know I mean to them that's just part of life mm -hmm. so they don't even note that there's anything unusual so that's great it's great for all of us yeah I was gonna ask how because you've been fighting for uh, human rights for a long time now mm -hmm. and now we finally you can see some you can see the shift right you see the world that your grandkids are growing up in is different. And yet there's still um, things that don't seem to change. Well, it's very, you know, you can change people's minds, but you can't necessarily change their hearts. Yeah. I mean, I've said that about much legislation that I've been involved in, that, you know, I don't plan to change your heart about this. I just plan to make it illegal to do something bad mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but you know you can feel any way you want to feel mm -hmm. so um, well I look at marriage equality yeah I mean we I got involved in that and I almost can tell you the day because my granddaughter was just 16 on September 12th and at the moment of her birth literally I was meeting in my office with the LGBTQ, as I said, and whatever coalition, when we got the call from the delivery room that the baby had been born, mm -hmm. and put it on um, speakerphone, and I heard her cry for the first time, and I did what every self-respecting grandmother would do under those conditions. I burst out into tears, and they all applauded in the background, greeting Shana's birth. And Babs was there, in fact, and came up to me. I mean, I knew she was a trans person, but I only knew her as a woman. Mm -hmm. And she put her arm around me and said, it still makes me smile, I'm a grandfather, you know. Oh. And I, <laughs> I said, well, whatever. <laughs> what was that? Congratulations. Anyway, they were all with me at the point at a very emotional in a happy moment of my life. And so they all participated in it. I've written that story for my granddaughter so she would know 
she would not think I was home knitting a blanket at oh, the time so, of her mm. birth. She would know exactly what I was doing. What you were doing. Yeah. So anyway, that was really just domestic partnership. Mm -hmm. Only mm -hmm. It only affected state employees. It was such a small change in terms of people's lives. And when the bill became a film, became a law and became effective, so I don't remember which group, but somebody arranged a big rally at the Maplewood City Hall that they invited me to come and speak. I will tell you, I think there must have been a thousand people there. And it struck me, as I said, this was not a great big humongous thing. It allowed uh, public uh, counties, state, localities to adopt domestic partnership and allow only state employees to share pension and health benefits and so on. And I looked out at that crowd and I thought to myself, my goodness, we never did so little that made so many people happy. Mm. But it was part of the evolution, so that was 16 years ago. And since then, we morphed through civil unions and finally through marriage equality, which was originally vetoed by our prior governor and upheld in our Supreme Court. And Isla, she's retired and we're since become friends with Chief Justice of the Supreme Court at the time, uh, Deborah Poritz, short lady like I, so we always kid we both need stools to stand on when we're <laughs> doing some big interview, you know, to get over the microphones. But she had been a former English teacher before she became a lawyer. And in the thing I remember most as we moved from civil unions to marriage equality, she said, words do count. I attributed that to her English teacher background rather than her lawyer background. Oh. That she understood that you didn't have to walk into a hospital room of your loved one say, well, I'm their civil union, whatever. Yeah. And say, I'm their husband or I'm their wife. Yeah. And here I am. Yeah. So, um, so a lot of people participated. And it was, you know, a road that we just kept going on. And I tell young people, particularly I get invited to speak to a lot of young women's groups, this business takes discipline and focus. I mean, banning indoor smoking in New Jersey took 10 years. And there's always the woe is me, you know, the world is going to fall apart. Every restaurant will close. No bar will be able, be able to stay open if people can't mm -hmm. smoke indoors. I've heard the end of the world on <laughs> a lot of bills I've been involved with. You usually hear that in testimony. So banning smoking, marriage equality, mm -hmm. these things took literally years. Yeah, yeah. And they came, they went through various alliterations as society caught up with whatever it was we were doing. So uh, when, when I look back on all of this, what I'm overwhelmed about more than anything else is the, having the privilege of being in a place where I could actually do it. Mm. So um, that is a big privilege in serving in office, and particularly at this level where you can actually do something as opposed to the federal government, where it takes three times as long 
to get anything done. So uh, it's been a very exciting road, and I've got a few more miles to complete. How do you not get discouraged with everything taking a while? Uh, I do. Uh, well, there are days that I like to stay home in my flannel robe. Mm -hmm. But I tell people it's time to release vitamin C in a dose of hostility <laughs> and my competitive spirit. Mm. That, you know, that plays a big role in it. There's part of me that says, I am not going to lose, mm -hmm. <laughs> which, you know, comes, as I said, from just a sense of competition where they're not going to get the best of me. There have been a few things I haven't gotten through yet that I'm still trying to find ways, not necessarily on this subject, but things about government transparency and such. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So part of it is just I'm being born competitive or however that evolved in my mm -hmm, life mm -hmm. and uh, as I say and, and then it's the ability to look back and say we actually accomplished actually. these things and you started as a young woman mm -hmm. and, and it's still hard for a woman but you started it when it was like I'm, I'm super hard what was the what gave you the push to be like I want to well, I started right here. You know, <laughs> we're sitting on Cedar Lane in downtown Teaneck. We moved here in 1964. My husband and I and two little babies, literally, you know, that I had in, in a carriage. And I lived within walking distance of this main street. We had moved from West 75th Street, Manhattan, where we had trees outside. And we moved here in April, so it was that summer. It was very hot, and I was down here on Cedar Lane with the babies in the carriage. And I realized we didn't have a tree to stand under. I thought, geez, I moved from Manhattan. You know, I thought I was moving to the country <laughs> when I came here. So I, <laughs> I decided to go to, the, to a council meeting to say, are we planting trees? You know, why don't we plant trees on Cedar Lane or whatever? And I, if you look out there, you'll see it was not one of my fondest hours because some 50 years later, they're still trying to figure out how to plant trees on Cedar Lane that will survive. <laughs> so uh, it wasn't the greatest accomplishment in my life. But it was actually that, then it was the 60s. Uh -huh. So everybody was involved. There was a little bit of a division of labor. We were stay-at-home stay moms. So we did a lot of the planning for house parties, and we didn't have computer lists of voters. We made them up on little three-by-five cards. We sat in each other's backyards with the babies running around doing the work of an election. A door two up was the Lyndon Johnson headquarters, Johnson-Goldwater uh, election. So. Part of it became almost our social life. It's how we met people here. Everybody was involved in something in women's rights and civil rights and the anti-Vietnam War movement. So uh, we, we spent a lot of our lives on that. And gradually, it was hard for a woman because we were looked upon, well, you've got your husband to support you, stay home and do, you know, the little work you're supposed to do. To this day, I will tell you, I can sit in a meeting with a group of the guys that I work with 
and I could say the wall over there is green and everybody will go on with their meeting and then you, a man, might say a few minutes later, you know the wall over there is green and everybody will turn around and say, yeah, you know you're right. It still annoys me (laughs) because there's still something about a woman's voice that is is not naturally listened Mm -hmm. to, but as we've had Again, woman presidential candidate broke my heart when Hillary Clinton lost the election because I felt a personal letdown that I was never going to live to see a woman president. Maybe I will yet. Mm -hmm. But I said again to the aforementioned granddaughter, when a woman is finally elected president, if I am not here, you are to open a bottle of champagne and drink a toast to me. So... (laughs) one of my uh, commandments to her. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, again, it's becoming a a little bit more acceptable, but there is something in our society yet that allows the kind of sexual assault, the kinds of things we see all around us. It allows them to go on, but we've done, again, we've passed some pretty strong laws here. We have the strongest pay equity law in the country. We just recently outlawed non-disclosure agreements, which I think are the kinds of things that have allowed Mm. some of these things to go on for so long. So I'm having a little argument with my own governor about that right now. So you just keep, you just have to keep going. And, and, And people like you are, like you were saying, it's important that the more normalized, which is right. similar, the more women you see in office. Right. And, and you're saying that it still bothers you, but that must have been a really, like a trek yeah. to get up and... What advice would you give to someone that's, that's per, um, belonging, um, maybe a minority, and they keep saying that the wall is green and they're not being heard, and mm-hmm. how to deal with that frustration? Mm-hmm. Well, it is frustrating, and I view, try to use humor whenever I can. I might even remark to the guy who just said the wall is green and everybody agreed that said, yeah, I, I know, you didn't hear me say that 15 minutes ago. I try to keep things light and, well, humor sort of becomes natural. I, I can still have the capacity to laugh at myself as well as kind of crazy atmosphere around me. So I think that helps. And um, I, I also tell any young people know the rules of whatever it is you're getting involved in because if you know the rules you can make them work for you and if you don't know them I can guarantee you someone's going to use it against you so really know the basic rules whether it's the bylaws for the local democratic club or what the hierarchy is in a legislature take the time to get familiar with that I mean, a lot of it is learning by doing, by just being there and doing it. And um, uh, what I said before, it's such a great privilege and it's such an adventuresome road. (laughs) You know, where else, even particularly at my age, could I be doing things like sitting and talking to the two of you, Uh uh, you know, about these things Uh and not just being at home in my uh-huh. bathrobe, you know, uh, deciding when I have to take my next pill. Uh-huh. So uh, 
I've gotten as much out of it, if not more, than I've ever given to it. You've been doing this for 50? 50 years. I'm going to be 85 at my next birthday in February, which amazes me, too, because certain things I feel my back or being careful coming down a flight of stairs while I'm carrying three things, which is something I used to be able to come down the stairs with a baby under each arm, the laundry, and a phone in my ear. I can't do that anymore. So there, you know, I recognize a a little bit of physical limitation, but thank goodness I'm in comparatively good health and obviously my brain still works. So um, again, I look at this and I think, first of all, I'm amazed at how old I am. Are you? You know, how did this happen? Yeah. You know, because the old story inside, you, you still feel 35 mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but it's, it's a great road. Public service is a great privilege. And it, it's having a compassion for the other person sitting opposite you. But as I said, you can get as much out of this sense of adventure and accomplishment Mm -hmm. as you can give to it. Did you imagine your life as being what it is now when you were younger? I never. Well, I tell this to people. Somebody said my role model originally, I used to read the comic strips in the newspaper. There was a comic strip of Brenda Starr, Girl Reporter. Brenda Starr looked to me like she had was leading a very exciting life in the comic strip. Uh-huh. She was a reporter. She had a big mop of red hair. And um, so I thought, I think I'll study journalism. <laughs> I mean, that was about uh, the kind of motivation. I mean, it was really sort of so surface. And after I graduated college, when I came to New York, which is another story that's not too important, but here I was. I went to an employment agency to get a job, and I my prerequisite was I wanted to work between 5th and Madison and be- between 50th and 40th Street. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I didn't, I didn't have such high aspirations, but I, al- I always learned when there was a slight door ajar, walk through it and mm-hmm. take advantage of whatever the next opportunity was. Even if you're going to trip and fall, or if it doesn't work out, um, it's still worth it. Mm. So I think, you know, another life lesson that if it opens a little bit, push it and go. And that was the door for you with um, the women sitting around watching the kids? Right, right. And talking about what we were trying to do for the world. You know, Mm. my kids grew up in sort of a dark humor joke that I would say, I'm too busy. I don't have time for you right now because I'm too busy making a better world for you. So, um, it, it, the, the, I mean, we were, and we did it. We stopped the war in Vietnam. Yeah. You know, you, you could see this happening in real time uh-huh. in front of your eyes because we were marching and writing letters and lobbying people and doing all the things uh, that were going on in those years. So um, it wasn't like you, you, this feeling of helplessness mm-hmm. or hopelessness. You took action. Yeah, and I don't think people should feel that way today in spite of this 
crazy atmosphere that's yeah, going that's, on up there. The, the other woman that you were with that were doing all this work, did they become senators? Some of them, well, not no, but some, some of them became part of the bureaucracy, okay. went to work yeah. uh, in a congressman's office, mm -hmm. or I'm trying to think of the people that I was closest mm -hmm. to, became still active in the Democratic organization, became state committee people or mm -hmm. national committee people. They're, they are, by and large, wow. not all, yeah. but by and large, uh, women who, wow. uh, if they're still with us, were, uh, were and are involved. Oh, that's beautiful. So I wanted to ask you a little bit how, what gives you meaning? Fighting against the Fighting general, against. as what I said, my, my I described as my sense of competitive, competitive spirit. spirit. Or Francine's heard me say this many a time. Uh, you know, timed release vitamin C and a dose of hostility both go to <laughs> toward keeping me on the road. But um, so I think the the I know I'm right. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you have to have the confidence in whatever it is you're fighting against that you know the against part is the right part uh -huh. for you. Yeah. So that's the only way I could describe it as meaningful is the sense of knowing what I'm doing is the right thing yeah. to do, that I'm doing it, that I'm, <laughs> the, uh, again, I don't want to underestimate the competitive side. Mm -hmm. And then having a family yeah. um, that supports me. I, my husband died almost 21 years ago actually mm -hmm. but he was a great source of support during that period of time uh, you know Francine he used to go to all of Francine's volleyball uh -huh. tournaments he was self-employed so he had a lot more flexibility in terms of time so he was the one who took them to the orthodontist mm -hmm. and so he was she would describe him as Mr. Mom right and he had his own business which he did out of our home so we also had a home-based business long before computers mm -hmm. and the most modern equipment we had was an electric typewriter and a telephone with a hold button. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, because sometimes I would pretend I was his secretary if I was calling some big client someplace to make it look like we had a much bigger operation than oh. we did. And uh, we, I have a lot of funny stories about that, but so it's all you know all those people help me thank you so much for uh yeah. being with us in, in the podcast and opening up about your whole journey and thank you so much for the support to lgbtq film yes and and and, and rights you know in general <laughs> well thank you very much first of all for trying to educate the public about these issues mm -hmm. that are important to each of us individually and collectively as a society so you're doing your part too thank you thank you thank you everybody this has been another episode of the forbidden, forbidden apple. apple i'm melissa weiss i am pelayo alvarez have a wonderful day